Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. Great to have you here on this fine Tuesday. Today's show of Locked On Blue Devils is brought to you by our friends over at Stat Hero. Stat Hero is reshaping the way you play fantasy sports. Dozens of house-based games to play daily. No sharks, no funky props, just your skill versus the lineups that you choose. Sign up today at stathero.com slash locked on. Again, my name is JJ Jackson, Locked On Blue Devils, talking all things Duke Athletics each and every day. And on today's program, we're joined by Brendan Marks of The Athletic, one of my very good friends in the biz and uh, thrilled that he's back on the program. We have a lot to catch up on. It's been about a month or so since Brendan has been on the program. So with that being said, B. Marks, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I can't complain. This is, you know, we were just talking before we got on air. This is uh, my favorite time of the year and I haven't been able to do this for the <laughs> athletic yet. So it's it's crazy that we're going to have some semblance of normalcy for the first time since 2019. And man, I'm just amped. I'm so yeah. excited. Look, the regular season is over. The ACC tournament is over. All of these things took place since we last saw you. Mike Krzyzewski's final game in Cameron Indoor Stadium is over. And I'm telling you, I cannot put into words how excellent the reporting and the stories that you put together, uh, Brendan, are for The Athletic. And, and so I've got to start right away. We've got to play catch up because going into the final game that Mike Krzyzewski had at Cameron Indoor, I mean, myself and, and, and Duke fans across the world, I would imagine, we're trying to take in every single piece of content possible. Coach K could walk through campus to grab a bike to eat for lunch, and we wanted to see it. And so, uh, I, I mean, what was it like, the lead-up? And then I want to get into some of the, the stories that you had. Yeah, it was, it was madness. And, you know, credit to Duke because I think they've done a really, really nice job all year of putting a lot of that stuff on the back burner. And frankly, I, I think probably up until up until the Florida State game at home, the penultimate home game, there really hadn't been a lot of talk about Coach K's last year, talk about doing this for him, talk about go, sending him out on, you know, quote unquote, the right note, whatever you want to interpret that to mean. Duke had done a pretty good job minimizing a lot of that messaging. And then, like, there was a crack in the door with the second to last home game because it was – the last normal home game right? because we all knew that the last game was going to be Zoom. and it obviously turned out to be. Um, but so until that point, it had been good. And at that point, the dam just sort of burst. And so that whole week leading up to the last game, um, you know, last last time at the time that we thought against Coach Beheim, last time going to Syracuse, last time, last road game at Pitt against Coach Capel, um, and then obviously the biggie itself. So that, that whole week leading up to the, the Carolina game was – unlike anything I've ever seen before in, in covering college basketball, just because it's never happened before, you know, every other great of the sport before, you know, whether it be Rupp or Wooden or Dean Smith, Roy Williams, most recently, like these guys just left. Right. And uh, the fact that he didn't do that, it just made it this crazy buildup. And um, it was awesome to take in, but it was also a lot to take in. <laughs> sure. No doubt about that. All right. So here we are on Tuesday, March 15th, and you had a story published back on March 3rd, leading up to the final game between Duke and UNC. So if you're 12 days late, shame on you uh, getting to this. It's the untold stories of Coach K, wine trips, 
all night film sessions and uncommon empathy. And I'm reading it as if I'm sitting at a, a round table and I'm sure that's kind of the vision that you had for it. But I mean, just the stories alone that you got out of this and then the names that are speaking in this story. Tell me about this, Brendan, because it was unbelievable to read. I appreciate it, man. It was a lot of fun to put together. And, uh, you know, to be frank with you, I think in the course of my reporting, I talked to 24 people and they're not even they're not even all cited in there. You know, like I had a I, I probably had an hour long conversation with uh, Allah Abdel Nabi and uh, he was fantastic and got me in touch with a lot of people. And at the end of the day, I looked back and I was like, wait, I didn't I, I had such a good talk with him. I didn't put anything in um, because there was that many there was that many incredible stories to share. And, um, you know, I think the thing with me was I, I realized that there's not a way to sum up his career in terms of his basketball coaching. Like there's no way that you can write a definitive account in any sort of manageable chunk that was going to adequately sum up everything he's done in the basketball sense. There just wasn't. And, you know, I, other people did great stories about that, but like people have written books about that and it's still not enough. Um, you know, you sort of have to take them all together. So for me, I wanted to try and do something that I thought would be a little bit different. And I wanted to find out a little bit more about Mike Krzyzewski, not Coach K, but like him as a man and the things that he liked, the way that he interacted with people. Um, and because those are the things that in covering him, I've been most fascinated with. Like, obviously, he's a great basketball coach, but I'm not in the huddles. I get to see the empathy. I get to see the interpersonal skills. That stuff comes through to me on a day-to-day process. So uh, I really wanted to dive into those things. And, you know, the man likes himself a glass of red cab. Uh, you know, he, he likes to go out and have a few and let loose a little bit. He likes to, you know, garden in the side and, and, you know, he is as genuine as I think a lot of Duke fans think he is in terms of how he reaches out to people and maintains relationships. And even when those relationships maybe do not benefit him in any way anymore, he maintains them for the sake of maintaining them. Um, which is something that I think a lot of us in our lives would do better to practice. It was so great to read. And again, this is Brendan Marks of The Athletic joining a series on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. And uh, with that being said, we talk about that final game that we're leading up to against North Carolina. Yes, I read what you had to say after the game was over, but I've talked about that enough. We spent enough time on that. And quite frankly, I don't want to go down uh, the, the terrors that were that final game in the second half the 38 to 20 run over the last 11 minutes. And here I am regurgitating all of that again. I'm sick. <laughs> uh, but, but what I want to hear from you, because I have gotten a chance to speak to a couple of people on the podcast and then also in other conversations in life about being in venue for the final game. I want to know just kind of an atmosphere vibe for you. And I love stories of people going to the concession stand or quite frankly, just walking into the, walking around the exterior of Cameron Indoor, and it's basically a who's who that showed up that day. It was. Um, I think probably the first the first sign that this was going to be a weird day for me was, well, obviously campus was swamped. Right. You know, campus was swamped. And, uh, you know, even on Thursday, on Friday, you know, I, I remember going and taking my dog for a walk around campus and it's it's full. I mean, obviously everybody's tenting, but even more than that, like alumni had already started to sort of congregate around the arena. So even two days in advance, it was a zoo in stadium. I think the first time that I had that it was going to be a different day was maybe an hour and a half, two hours before the game when Dirk Nowitzki got there. <laughs> and I happened to be out on the court at that point, And I forget who I was talking to or what I was doing, but Dirk is in the upper rafters and all the crazies have already started filing in. They're not all the way in, but there's, you know, a couple of rows of them there um, in that section across from the benches. And 
Dirt comes down and all of the crazies are like, oh my God, it's Dirk Nowitzki. And they all want to get pictures with him. And after all that, they like sort of turn around and Dirk is like, wait, wait, I got to get a picture with you too. And so Dirk <laughs> is like trying to do the, the whole upward selfie to do the same thing. Um, you know, just in, you know, I, afterwards, like Grant Hill and T.O. like being able to like, you know, talk trash with those guys. And like T.O. is like poking the bear in terms of Grant Hill. Um, you know, Grayson Allen is walking around on his phone alone. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's it was just wild to see all these people in this environment. And frankly, my favorite part of the game, like obviously I know it didn't go how Duke fans wanted. But for me as a reporter, I could not stop watching the former players. Yeah. You know, there's 96 of them and they're piled like three, four rows deep behind the bench. And like, it's Jay Williams with Quinn cook. And they're both, you know, whispering behind their closed mouths <laughs> and Jay Williams calling for a timeout, like Carlos boozers in the back, rubbing his temples, like <laughs> watching, watching these like legendary and famous players go through the experience of watching a game, like fans and, and having to realize what all of us have been like on the other end of it. Um, was excellent and so entertaining for me. And like I said, obviously it didn't, it didn't turn out the best way, but uh, you know, the whole experience was crazy. The place was a, an oven. It was like, you turned off the AC, threw it back to the nineties. Uh, Coach K even took off his jacket halfway through. Like it was, I mean, I was sweating and you know, there was so much paint in that place. I'll tell you, JJ, uh, my pants still haven't come back from the cleaners. They'll sure. They're still trying to get all the blue paint out of them. <laughs> I, I'm basically just going to have to buy a new pair. At this point. Yeah. It, was, it was insanity all around. No, I'm sure. And it was just so crazy to watch on television alone. I mean, we're talking about the great conversations that were had uh, watching the game. And, and I love that you know, on television, they did keep cutting back to the former players that were in venue. And you saw JJ Redick reunited with Lojo, who was an assistant coach for him. And they can't stop watching the game and commenting on it together. Uh, in the very back, Christian Leitner and Kyle Singler look like they are just the best of friends, which was so unique. And the people didn't even know if Christian Leitner would show up in the first place. And then it was Kyle Singler, of all people, that he uh, kept talking to. Yeah, and, and Leitner, you know, some of the guys, like Trajan Langdon, looks like he could he could have played in that game. Like, <laughs> he looks great. I mean, some of these guys look so young. Christian looks a little bit more grandfatherly. You know, he's gone all gray, changed the hair, obviously, since then. But, um, it, yeah, it, I, and I think even for Coach K, and he, he said as much afterwards, the coolest part was not the media attention. It was not Adam Silver being there. It was not his family and his friends being there. It really was the players. Because for him, he's he's literally seeing people who, you know, he was 33 and now he's in his 70s. Like when he had these kids, some of them in 1980, they were 18 years old. Right. And so now they're almost 60 years old and they have families and their family, you know, their kids have kids. And um, I think the emotion that you saw from him before the game was the most genuine emotion that you could have hoped to see. And you could tell how touched he was and. He is a guy who has pushed away the emotion of this and has deflected from himself. But um, to see that was was very special and just sort of incredible to witness live. And, you know, even after that, like you, you knew that had done it. That was it. No matter what happened, seeing all the guys there, that was that was any sort of recognition he needed. Obviously, a win would have been better. But um, having all the guys back to do the tunnel for him, take that photo. I thought it was excellently executed. And talking about the game specifically or after the game and sort of the events of, of Coach K that go into it, 
The other thing that really stood out to me was the emotion before the game, like you're saying. But I just, I my one of my favorite moments from the entire night, the scene that was shown on television, uh, was, was the grandkids moment at the end of the game when he came back out after the fact, and uh, one of Michael Savarino's sisters was like, "Wait a minute, Mike's not here. Let's run and grab him from the Duke team." And um, that was crazy. One to see how many grandkids he has all in one spot. Uh, right. All these years <laughs> later, but uh, that was just so touching. Yeah, and you know, and and ultimately, at the end of the day, like. You know, one of the stories I wanted to do all year this year and that ultimately didn't end up coming to fruition, but that I think a lot of us tried to do was, you know, was to talk to Mickey about what has this year been like for you? Because you've been there for 42 years and JJ, in the past three years, I've read as many books, as many articles as I can about Coach K. Like I, you know, I got to, I got a, I got a sneak peek of the Ian O'Connor one. I've read Feinstein. Like I've, I have done as much as I can to try and find out about this man and you know, the family element of it is so huge. So to have that, like it very much was his senior night and he got to be escorted out by his family. And um, you know, he's going to look back on those pictures and I don't know that they're going to be tainted by the game or whatever, but he's going to look back at those pictures forever, regardless of it, because it's, you know, such a, an incredible moment. And um, you know, ESPN, Duke all together, they did a great job of capturing that. And uh, I agree with you. I think that was so cool. And the scholarships too, you know, right. having the scholarships for everybody as well. I don't know if you were, I mean, certainly not in the moment, but after the fact, I'm sure you got a glance of this, but talking about his wife, calling a timeout on the TV copy was shown and that was just unbelievable. And then five seconds later, Mike Krzyzewski calls it. It's like, she knows her husband. She knows. She knows. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think, you know, the thing that uh, so many people have conveyed to me when I asked about her and even in the process of reporting that story we were just talking about and, and I had so much stuff about Mickey, like, you know, in those in those all night film sessions in Beijing, like Mickey Krzyzewski's in the room, you know, she's in the back row and her and Jerry Colangelo are fighting to stay awake. And they come in and they stay for an hour when everyone else is still going. They just silently duck out. She is. She is as in it as you could possibly be. And she has been the entire time he's been at Duke. And even before that at Army, you know, he, she has been the co-pilot. And people say, oh, she's an assistant coach. Like, no, she is the co-head coach. Like everything that he does, it has to go through her too. So, um, you know, I, I thought that was awesome. It just shows how united they are. And um, can you imagine what this year has been like for her and what these next you know, four potentially weeks are going to be like for her. It's going to be. Yeah. Can't wait. There's, there's no words for it. I, I can't wait to see how it all plays out, regardless of what the result may be. Of course, we're hoping it's uh sights on six, six wins to get the sixth national championship. Let's talk a little bit about the concerns about the Stuke men's basketball program, but I want to take a quick time out before we accomplish that. Listening here to Locked On Blue Devils today, our show is brought to you by our friends over at Stat Hero. This is March. And man, here we are as it gets started this week. I both love and hate those buzzer beaters. It's drama and it's all over the place and you got to love it. Stat Heroes NCAA single game pickums pit the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. Stat Hero gives you the opportunity resulting in their gamers winning four times more often because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with the set of players you choose. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way 
to get your sports action fix. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on using promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on using promo code locked on for a 100% match. Stathero.com slash locked on with promo code locked on. Terms and conditions apply. This is what daily fantasy was meant to be. Thanks again for making Locked On Blue Devils your first listen every day. Make sure you check out the Locked On Bracket Breakdown right here on the Locked On Podcast feed and YouTube channel. College basketball experts Chris Gordy, Andy Patton, and betting expert Lee Sterling give you an in-depth breakdown on every single matchup. All right, we continue to move forward here today on Locked On Blue Devils, hanging out with Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Duke men's basketball will take on Cal State Fullerton on Friday in the first round of the tournament. Uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit, but uh, what concerns should Duke have going into the NCAA tournament? You know, I think there's two. Two that I, I think, you know, one that has been sort of an underlying season-long thing and the other one that has been more recent. The underlying season-long one is the fact that um, this team never has had and still does not have a legitimate point guard, a true pass-first point guard. Like, Trey Jones is not on this roster. Um, there are great, great guards, Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach. If you want to count AJ Griffin in that mix, like there are great guards here. Um, but there's not a true setup first point guard. There's not that guy. And I think the result of that is at times because of the way that Duke plays offense and the way that Duke tries to overwhelm you with its talent sometimes rather than its schemes or its motion or its set plays. Sometimes when you don't have somebody who has that selflessness, you end up getting a little sticky, as I like to call it. The ball gets stuck. It doesn't sure. move as freely. Um, you waste time in the shot clock. You move laterally instead of forward and backward. Um, you don't probe. You don't push a defense. You just sort of move around the fringes of it. And to me, I think the guy who does that the best on this team is Jeremy Roach. Um, I think that, you know, Wendell Moore has a higher assist rate than he does, but Jeremy has uh, an innate ability to move the ball. And I think that, you know, whether it be a pick and roll read, a, a pick and pop where he's doing this behind the back pass to Paolo Bancaro or AJ Griffin that he's become so adept at, whether it's driving into the lane and kicking, whether it's driving in and dumping, whether it's driving and scoring when he needs to, I think that his ability and fearlessness and passing the basketball is something that Duke maybe hasn't relied on quite enough. And I think it's something it's going to need more of in the NCAA tournament. The thing that's become a concern of late is the defense. Right. Which is a big problem because that's what this team has been built on all season. And in the last week and a half, two weeks, per Ken Palm's ratings, you've seen Duke's adjusted deficiency fall all the way to number 44 nationally. It's been in the top 25 all year long. And, you know, there is not a sustained track record of NCAA tournament success, at least not at the highest level, which is where this team obviously wants to go and is capable of being, if you don't have a top 25 defense. And I'm not saying that's a hard, fast cutoff. I'm not saying Duke can't get back there. But in its last six games, it's had five of its worst defensive performances of the season in terms of points per possession allowed. And, you know, I don't think there's any one reason for that. 
partially it's because the pick and roll coverage has suffered and, and Mark Williams especially has gotten caught in some uncomfortable situations. Part of it is the fact that the teams Duke has been playing have run Mark Williams off the court. You know, he doesn't match up. He doesn't have the movement skills to hang with a team that plays small ball that goes three guards and has a versatile mobile big kid. That's just not his game. Um, and in those situations, I don't know that Paolo Bancaro, as much as he gets, he ends up sliding up to the five. That's not a natural fit for him positionally or based on his skill set. Right. So I think that part of that is the problem. I think Trevor Keels has lapsed a little bit. I don't think his perimeter defense, he's been caught from behind. He's been a little slower. His reactions haven't been there. Um, I think you've seen some of that. And the communication hasn't been as good, you know, and it was great in the Miami game. I thought it was a page being turned. I thought things were getting better. Because I could hear Paolo Bancaro directing traffic. I could hear Jeremy Roach saying, send him my way. I can hear Theo John going, ice hedge, switch, don't, you know. And, and you don't always hear that anymore. And that's the problem because this team needs to do that, especially because it has so many young guys who aren't necessarily as instinctive. They need to have the knowledge of what other guys are telling them. So those are my two biggest concerns. Honestly, probably the defense more than the, the lack of a true point guard. Um but if that doesn't get fixed soon, then, then this is going to be a much shorter tournament run than people expect because um, Duke's defense has been the bedrock of its team all year long. And right now, it's a bad time to have a bad time. Let me put it that way. Yeah, and, and a bad <laughs> time to have a bad time. I mean, that's just the title of this whole thing. If you, if you kind of want to talk about the concerns and the ball movement is something that's obviously jumped off the screen and something that you kind of see watching the game. And I've talked frequently on this show looking at, um, you know, the, just – simply the number of assists compared to the field goals that you're making in a basketball game. And it was just ugly in the Virginia Tech contest this year versus Syracuse. The zone kind of forced you to move the ball around a good bit. So those are obviously the best numbers that Duke has had in that regard. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it really does come back to, hey, let's share the basketball and not try to get into way too many isolation sets because that's just really hard to consistently be able to bring buckets. It is. And, and it's not feasible against teams that have when you're playing a team like, for example, a Virginia Tech or a team that Duke potentially could see in the second round against like a Davidson. They're going to run so many plays that take so much time off the shot clock and they're going to they're going to shorten the game and they're going to force you to defend for 30 seconds. They're going to physically exhaust you. And when they're doing that, you don't have the exertion. You don't have the ability to just overwhelm somebody on a one-to-one -one basis. You have to pass the ball. Duke right now, I just went ahead and checked because I was curious about this. Duke's assist percentage out of field goals made, it's about 57%, not bad. 45th in the nation, though. And, and that's a rate that you look at some of these one seeds, you look at the best teams in the country, like Arizona, for example, leads the nation in that metric. You can see how it translates to the court, you know? Yeah. And that's why, despite losing their point guard, they were able to have success still, even in the half court, because of the way they share the basketball. And, you know, I think that Duke has better passers than that ball movement would indicate. I think Jeremy Roach is a very capable and willing passer. Same for Wendell Moore. Uh, same for Trevor Keels. You know, maybe not quite A.J. Griffin, but Paolo Bancaro can pass the ball a little bit. Like, these guys can it's, – it's not like – it's not something they can do. So I think, to me, you, you look at some of these games where they do try and – they ultimately end up going into more of these ISO sets. It's Bancaro on the block. It's Williams on the block. It's a guy, it's AJ Griffin trying to create space for a pull up off the dribble three. Like that's not, that's not the best case scenario for this team. The best case scenario for this team is, you know, dribble handoffs, 
uh, going out of the horn set, crossing back over screens, Jeremy Roach penetrating, kicking to AJ Griffin in the corner. That's a three every time. It's just about having the wherewithal to do it every time and not settling for bad shots because you do have superior talent, um, which this team obviously does. It's, it's sort of a counterintuitive idea, but it's important. It's really important. Let's talk a little bit more about the Stuke basketball team as they get set for a March Madness run. Again, Brendan Marks of The Athletic, far too kind with this time every time he pays us a visit on the podcast. We finish our conversation in just a moment. Today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils is brought to you by Run Your Pool. March Madness is here. I mean, tonight we've got a couple of games in the first four being played. That means you need to start thinking now about where you're going to be running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you looking for the best? Well, we've done our homework and we're running brackets with runyourpool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X. Both are really fun in their own way. They have options to edit scoring, and they offer more intel to make your picks, all the stuff that you won't find at ESPN or CBS. Clearly, we believe Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize up to $1,800, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize up to $1,800. We look forward to seeing and beating you there. Our show today is also brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From the latest odds, contests, and player props, betonline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and information. Bet Online remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. As we move forward here today on Locked on Blue Devils, I do want to tell you a little bit more about Bet Online. Duke right now is tied for the fourth best odds with Baylor, according to Bet Online, to win the NCAA tournament. The Blue Devils start March Madness with an 11 to 1 line shared there with Baylor and only trailing the likes of Arizona, Kentucky, and Gonzaga, the favorite. Bet Online also has the Duke Blue Devils as a 17 and a half point favorite over Cal State Fullerton when we get going on Friday. All right, so Brandon, talking about this team and talking about Cal State Fullerton, not a good three-point shooting team by any stretch of the imagination when it comes to college basketball. But Duke has been on a bad trend as of late as well from the three-point line, particularly against Virginia Tech. Uh, A.J. Griffin in that game alone was one of eight, and Trevor Keels in the tournament was two of 14 Will those three-point shooting numbers fix or improve in your eyes? I think uh, they will. I don't know by how much. And that's yeah. that's the question, right? Like for A.J. Griffin, he's not going to go one for eight. He's too good a shooter for that. Yeah. I mean, he was hitting almost 50% from three. And, and even when he was missing all those shots, like it wasn't like he was missing, missing. You know, they're going down and they're rimming in and coming back out. Great he, misses, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're so – like everything he touches, it looks like it's going in. So <laughs> – I think that will that will remedy itself. Trevor Keels, this has been a season long problem. Trevor Keels is hitting what thirty two percent from three now. You know, Trevor Keels has not proven himself to be a reliable three point shooting threat. You know, you've got Wendell Moore and AJ Griffin; those are your two forty plus point guys. Paolo Banchero is around thirty percent. Jeremy Roach around thirty four, thirty five. Um, Trevor Keels' volume does not always match up with with the percentages and. 
I don't quite understand it because he has the physicality and the size to get to the rim. And when he does, he's, he's one of Duke's better players at finishing through contact. I, I think the thing for Duke is just getting better shots. It's not settling for the three. These three-point numbers are depreciating because you're seeing an increase in the percentages and they're just not the looks this team needs. When you have the size that you have with Mark Williams, Paolo Bancaro, AJ Griffin, and Theo John, get the ball in the freaking post, man. <laughs> get the ball in the paint. And then once you're in there, kick it back out. And Bancaro, especially, he's the best at that. Griffin can do it too, but I think Duke gets a little three-point happy at times, and it doesn't necessarily have the horses to run that race. So um, I'll be interested to see if Coach K you know, sort of irons that element of the offense out in the next couple of days as they're getting ready to take on Cal State Fullerton. I think he will. Um, but at the same time, against some of these more physical teams, if you get yourself into a massive hole by shooting threes and you're not hitting them, all of a sudden you're, you get to the danger zone pretty quickly because it's hard to come back if you're not hitting those threes. And if you're not willing to be physical from the onset of a game, it's hard to establish that midway through. So um, I, I think for me, you know, we know that guards win in March, but Duke has got to have more of a post presence than it has, you know, consistently uh, if it is hoping to make a long run. It has the talent and the size inside. You got to lean on that. You got to lean on that. What is the outlook for Duke when you look at just the two games that are scheduled to be played here in Greenville? And obviously, absolutely nothing is guaranteed in the month of March. You still hear Lehigh and Mercer and all of those just horrors that Duke has experienced in March Madness. What is the outlook, though, for Duke when they look at their weekend in Greenville, South Carolina? Yeah. So, you know, like you mentioned, Cal State Fullerton is not a particularly good three point shooting team. It is not a particularly big team um, and small and doesn't make a lot of threes is usually not a formula for winning against a team like Duke. Uh, it's possible, but yeah. the things, you know, the things that usually lead to those massive upsets are hitting a large portion of your threes, having a ridiculous defensive steal rate, hitting the offensive glass don't know that Cal State Fullerton necessarily checks all those boxes. Right. So um, in my bracket, I have Duke advancing past that. We'll take it, it that way. <laughs> um, thereafter, it gets interesting, you know, because I think that uh, Davidson and Michigan State, for different reasons, present different challenges. Michigan State, uh, this is what, like the 850th time that Duke and, Duke and the Spartans yes. have been matched up, uh, you know, and obviously the last time that these two teams met in the tournament, it was with a similarly talented Duke team that I think was sort of going through a similar emotional and, you know, fatigue journey, if you yeah. will, that this current team is. Um, the last bit. NCAA tournament game that Duke played. Yes. The last time they were in the tournament, the Zion Williamson year in the Elite Eight loss. Correct. And I obviously that was a better Michigan State team. That was a Final Four team. I don't right. think anybody thinks this Michigan State team is, but – it's Izzo, it's March, it's the Spartans, they're feisty. I, you don't want to miss up with that. Um, as for Davidson, you know, I, I put this out on Twitter a few days ago. I, I think Davidson is not a great matchup for Duke um, because they're kind of like Virginia Tech light, you know. In Foster Lawyer, they have a pass-first point guard who can probe the defense. He's got enough size and high major tournament experience at Michigan State that I think he'll be poised. I think he'll play well. Um, and you're talking about having, you know, shooters all around, you know, shooters all over the floor. You have versatility, um, physicality. Bob McKillop is one of the best coaches in the country. He's so underrated. Like Davidson is a good basketball team. So I don't think that either of those matchups would be a walk in the park. I, I would pick Duke to advance through either of them. 
but I certainly don't think that this is like a, a cakewalk by any means. Both of those teams are capable of beating the blue devils if they don't bring the necessary level of mental focus to the, to the picture. Um, but I think anything short of a sweet 16 with this roster would certainly be a massive upset. Um, and then once you get there, depending on the matchups, you know, things go from tough to, you know, we, we crank it up to like expert level of the video game. No, for sure. Duke, <laughs> Duke plays Cal state Fullerton first in Greenville. And then you've got the Davidson and Michigan state game right after. And so Duke, obviously we, we think they're going to beat Cal state Fullerton and they're going to be watching uh, to see who they're going to be playing next. And the foster lawyer side of things is just reason enough, a storyline enough to watch. This guy was literally a captain of the Michigan State basketball team one season ago. And in his first year as a Davidson Wildcat, here he is in March playing Michigan State. I mean, there are just storylines all across the tournament. That's why we love the sport so much, Brendan. Absolutely. You know, I know on the on the flip side of things for UNC, um, Auburn's first round opponent, I think, is Jacksonville State. Right. Um, and Brandon Huffman, another former UNC player is over there. So it's, <laughs> you know, two former UNC players on different teams. So and th- that's the best part about this. Right. That's the best part about March is you do get those. And, um, you know, I, I, I would think that uh, because of the history with Izzo and Michigan State, when Duke fans saw that bracket unveil, I'm sure there is like a little bit of like, oh no, oh no. Yes. Um, but at the same time, this Duke team is definitely talented enough to take care of business if it has its eyes on the prize. And, and I think that especially after losing the ACC tournament in the fashion that it did, the week that it had overall, I, I think these guys are, I think they are pissed off. Yeah. And I think, And I think there's a sense that, okay, we let the biggie at home get away. We owe coach something. We let the ACC tournament get away. We really owe him something. We cannot give this man nothing. And so uh, I, I think there's that sentiment. I think it's created hunger. And, you know, your best players have got to play your best players. I think Paolo Bancaro has got to have a big march, and I think that he will. Yeah, let's get to it. Let's uh, have some fun as the fun gets going on Thursday. And then, of course, Duke will play on Friday. March Madness is absolutely here. And Brendan Marks has been here with us of The Athletic, one of my good friends, Where can we find your work, Brendan? And again, really do appreciate the time. Yeah, of course. I love coming on with you. As I said before, it's so much fun for me to get to talk about all this. And, um, you know, the rest of my ramblings and musings are over at The (laughs) Athletic uh, in podcast form and written form. I'll obviously be boots on the ground in Greenville and, um, you know, potentially San Francisco after that. So, uh, yeah, everything will be over at The Athletic College Basketball. We're running a special promotion right now. If you're not a member, Come check us out for a dollar a month. Um, you know, any team that you could possibly want to know anything about, we've got info on it. We've got picks, we've got experts, we've got betting advice, you name it. So, um, you know, shameless plug, but I think that we, this is the month that we train for. So we're very yes. ready to go. Let's go. This is our, we're all at our best in March. And, and that's Brendan Marks. He's on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, that's my buddy Brendan Marks of The Athletic joining us here on Locked on Blue Devils. As always, please be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast wherever you get them. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Blue Devils. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.